Welcome to the Life Unplugged podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and we're here with another episode. We have a gentleman by the name of Andrew Snowball here, and he's going to talk to us today about his page on Instagram and some of the things that he that he's doing about becoming an anti-racism ally. And that's how you can find them on Instagram, becoming underscore and underscore anti-racism underscore ally. And uh, we're going to talk more about what that means, you know, how he came up with those ideas, with that idea and, you know, and and just get, get educated on it. Race is a big issue in this country. Obviously as a black man, I experienced it, have, have, have had experiences of racism throughout my life and, you know, have seen how it works in this country. And, uh, Andrew, thank you for coming here. I appreciate you. How are you this evening? Good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, Andrew, let's just start off by you just introducing yourself and telling the people a little bit about you. So, uh, like Jeremy said, Andrew Snowball, you know, unfortunately, I'm in Canada. I live in Canada. It's a bit of a different context. You know, Jeremy knows that. Uh, But, uh, you know, a lot of the things that uh, we're going to talk about are going to be pretty similar. Uh, you know, white people are white people in the States or in Canada, you know, unfortunately. Uh, but for me, my background, uh, just to go into a little bit about that is, um, you know, for me, I've done a lot of work uh, in education, done a lot of work professionally, uh, you know, did Indigenous studies up in Canada, uh, you know, did a master of social work, did a doctor of education. A lot of my work focused on how do white people engage with indigenous communities or not engage? And I think that's a big thing that's happening in Canada and in the States is, uh, you know, how do we have or not have relationships, you know, with different communities, whether it's the black community or other racialized communities. So for me, I spent a lot of time in school uh, focusing on these things and then, uh, you know, doing work in this area. Uh, But for me, uh, I'm just a real typical white person, you know, like many people out there as far as, uh, you know, how I came up and, and what I did or didn't know about racism, but, uh, you know, spending time in school, spending time working on these issues and, you know, launching this Instagram page, not even a year ago, uh, just talking about issues around racism and being white and, and thinking about all those things. Right. Yeah. I think it's very educational. Before we go any deeper into that, I do have like a little story time thing that I like to do just to let the audience get to know you a little bit further. This is where you tell us something that people would be surprised to know about you. Well, you know, people that know me wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, for a lot of people, this is what I kind of do at the parties, you know, is that uh, I've got four brothers. Okay. I've got two older brothers and two younger brothers. My older brothers are twins and my younger brothers are twins. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, I grew up in a small town. I can get into that later, but, you know, uh, right in the middle, five boys pretty cool so you got stuck right in the middle <laughs> what and, was that uh, like did they like team up on the middle ki- on the middle guy <laughs> yeah yeah everything everything you think is is what happened but you know i'd like to think that i got the best of all of them so so now we're going to get into this topic right um because uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a big deal where where about in canada are you i live in ontario uh north of toronto people know toronto yeah uh but live in a small town I kind of grew up in a small town, so that's kind of what I do, but uh, worked a lot in Toronto, went to school in Toronto, you know, really racially diverse community. Uh, you know, in Ontario, this province where I'm in is is the most racially diverse province in Canada. You know, not a lot of people, but, uh, you know, where we live, you know, pretty diverse. Right. Okay. So here's the first question I have for you, Andrew. 
when you were growing up? Like, what was your view of race or racism, you know, white privilege? Did you have any concept of that when you were when you were growing up? Yeah, nothing, none. You know, and I think that's that's where I say I'm, I'm very typical that a lot of people are going to have that same experience that I had, which was, you know, I grew up in this little town. You know, there were more cows than people where I grew up. And, uh, you know, I would watch movies maybe where there would be racially diverse characters. I would maybe read a story or two where a character was not white, uh, but none of my friends and family were, uh, you know, indigenous or racialized. Um, you know, my teachers, nothing I learned about in school was never taught about race and racism, you know, never even heard the term white privilege until I went away to university. Wow. And, uh, you know, never was, I was never asked to contemplate my identity, right? Because it was so normalized. And uh, it was only when I had, you know, a chance to move away and move to a to kind of a suburb of Toronto where there was a lot more people. And I started to see things. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I was actively racist as I grew up. I said and did a lot of racist things. I know that when I was younger, uh, but it was never something I had to think about, right? Because, you know, as, as I would talk about now, the world was made for me, my community, everybody looked like me. So I didn't have to think about it. Right. Right. So even if there was something that was, would be considered racist, you, you didn't really have an idea of it being racist. It was just the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for sure, I would hear things, you know, family and friends would say things, you know, I would repeat things when I was younger and, you know, I didn't know any better, not that it's an excuse. And I wouldn't tell people that it's, it's an excuse now, but I, I'm really honest about the fact that, you know, I spent over half my life in that space. You know, I'm still young enough now, but, you know, when I look at the, the things that I, I said earlier about my background, academic background, professional background, you know, I've still got a few years to go right. before I even hit that tipping point where I've spent as much time focusing on race equity as I had on being ignorant as a white person. Wow. Right. So uh, for me, I've still got to pay it back for a few more years before I even get to that halfway point. Wow. That's interesting. And you know, uh, we never saw white people except when we, when we went to school, maybe mm. there was a few teachers. The principal was white, maybe. And sometimes the principal was black, but the teacher, your teacher, your math teacher was white. Maybe that was it. You don't know what you don't know. And you just kind of go along, you know, I used to think all white people were rich. So, you know, so we, you know, you obviously you, you live and you learn and that's not the case, you know, <laughs> not all mm. white people are rich, not all black people are poor. Right. So, so now you have coming of age sort of thing and, and, and you're paying it back and you're really making the change. And, and what, yeah, has that, you know, what has that been like? When I started the account, you know, on Instagram, you know, you, you, you put up my handle and people can check it out if they want. But, um, you know, I was very mindful that even though I'd spent, I'm going to say a hundred times more time focused on these issues than the average white person, you know, I got some credibility as far as my background and the work that I've done. But for me, you know, the reason why I named my account, what I did in becoming an anti-racism ally is because I still feel like even after 15 years of solid work in this area, I'm still at the beginning. I'm still learning. I'm still becoming. So I was very mindful when I started the Instagram account that, you know, George Floyd had been murdered. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff is happening up in Canada. You know, I'm not wanting to be opportunistic. I'm not wanting to, to take anybody's space away. Uh, but I saw a need and I saw, I saw this need for years. 
that not enough white people were speaking up, not enough white people were understanding the issues, not enough white people were thinking about themselves in relation to race and racism. So I took some time, you know, uh, last June, last July, starting up the account, figuring out what it needed to be. Uh, a lot of people helped me kind of figure out what that space was, what that lane could be. But really, I've been surprised how few people have pushed wow. back. And, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, maybe three or four or five, you know, white people who have an agenda or, or want to kind of call me names or call me a white savior or whatever it is. And it's really misguided, unfortunately. Uh, and I just don't engage with those folks. You know, there's lots of people who I've engaged with and I've been able to talk to privately and, and publicly through the account and really try to help them understand my perspective and my background. Uh, but there's been really few people. And I, I have to say that the thing that keeps me going and makes me realize that I'm on the right track is that, you know, all of the people who are indigenous or black or racialized that follow me or support the account or, or talk to me about their experiences. And uh, if every one of those people tells me I'm on the right track and there's just a handful of white people who are angry with what I'm doing, then, you know, I know that I'm doing the right thing. Your page is really for white people, right? Yeah. hundred percent, you know, to educate. It's not really, it's not a, it's not really for black people, right? It's not, it's, it's for white people to be educated about how they think about race relations. But I think that there's definitely some education for, uh, there's something to be learned there from people uh, of color, you know, to be able to look and say, oh, okay, you know, you know, just to hear your story. Like I, I'm hoping that when, when this episode posts that to hear your story that, you know, uh, it's easy to, for people to say all white people are racist, which is just not true. I think it's mm -hmm. good, you know, to, to see that there, for you to be showing that there are people out there really trying to get your own people to look at how they look at other people, which is, which is amazing. Well, it's a, it's a big shame. Like, you know, why aren't there more people like me out right. there? Why aren't there more people saying what I'm saying? And, and the, the real sad, honest answer is that not enough people have had the experiences that I've had that I've been really fortunate to have. Right. And, you know, I posted a video a long time ago when I talk about this in my account, which is that um, I never had any white people teach me about race and racism. I never had any white people teach me about whiteness. And I know that that's the case for a ton of people out there. And so many people are learning about things in the last year and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And, you know, I can be, another voice, right, in people learning about themselves. But uh, there aren't enough white people out there with that education, with that mindset, with the, the ability to articulate the issues. And I, I hope that I can kind of, people can see themselves in me a little bit. And, you know, I try to make the, the content accessible. I try to make myself vulnerable, try to indicate that I'm, you know, I'm still learning. Uh, but there's just not enough white people talking about these issues. And, you know, Instagram or social media, it's just one space. It's just one venue for people to learn. Right. Uh, so I'm hoping that more and more people, you know, people listen to your podcast because uh, you're right. I am just talking to white people. Uh, I'm very mindful not to appropriate. I'm not, I'm not talking about the black experience. I'm not talking about indigenous people's experiences. I might talk about racism as it affects certain people, but I'm not here to tell anybody what it's like to experience racism because I don't know, right. you know, and that's the honest truth. Yeah, you know what? No, and that's that's good. I commend you for that. Um, and you and that point definitely gets across. You know, I think that there's a lot more 
people that think like you out there, I, I don't know that they have the same, they don't think of it the same way you think of it. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, there's this, there's a rapper, his name's Tom McDonald. And he actually has a song about this where he's, he's almost, he has the same idea that you have, right? But the way his feeling is that, hey, I, don't be mad at me because I'm white. Like, I'm not racist. Like, I, I didn't own slaves. I didn't, I'm not the one that's against you. Don't judge me because I'm white or don't be mad at me because I'm proud to be white, right? You know, uh, he's like, that's not, that my grandfather's grandfather didn't have slaves. or And I think that, you know, that's the attitude that some who feel like, hey, I'm not racist. Like, I, like I just, I want, you know, I struggle too. Or, you know, I want to live my life in this country and be happy too. And I, I'm not against anybody. I think that that's the way that they express it. How do you close that gap? Well, I mean, I'd say that, you know, what's your problem with taking accountability for the past? Honestly, you know, what do you lose? Because as white people, we don't lose anything, really, if I'm being honest. Right. That's, the, that's the thing about privilege, right? So I take accountability for the people who came before me because they never took accountability themselves. Wow. And that's that's just the facts, right? That we know our society is structured in such a way because of racism, because of white supremacy, because of all the ways in which white people benefit and people who are not white don't. So when are we ever going to reconcile that idea that our society is unjust, it, it's not equitable, people don't have the same access to things uh, just simply because of how they look? So when are we going to take accountability for it? You know, it's all well and good to have a proud anti-racist white identity, but we're not there yet as a society. And we're not there that collectively because the, the thing you start to think about when you talk about that is, you know, you know, Hickey torch carrying white supremacists. Right. And we can't separate ourselves from that idea. So it's all well and good to be Scottish and be proud or to be Polish and be proud or, or whatever it is. But when you talk about being proud of your whiteness, that is, I think it's just too, too soon, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I would say that we need to reconcile the idea that our society does not work for everybody. And it was never intended to work for everybody. People say that our system is broken. It's not broken. It was designed this way, right? So for those of us who are thinking about these issues, it's really about taking responsibility for ourselves, taking responsibility for these systems that people who look like me created for people who look like me. And to say, you know, from your point earlier about being racist, yeah, I personally say and think and do racist things, sometimes intentionally, sometimes otherwise, right? And that's my conditioning and that's my background. So there's going to be lots of people who will say, well, I'm not racist, but you do and say and think racist things sometimes, right? So it's all these things together. It's our history, it's our society, it's our culture, it's how we were raised, and it's our identity that we can't easily just pull apart from each other. Right, wow. Very well. Actually, you made a good point. You, you talked about being equitable, and that was one of the things that you changed. Uh, you said, hey, instead of saying equality, saying equitable. And we hear a lot about equality, right? It's like a big word. But why do you focus more on it being equitable versus equality? Yeah, you know, I think that it's just they're two different words. They're two different concepts. So we got to be very careful that we're not using the words interchangeably. And I think this is what happens is that 
you know, for us in Canada, it's been about 40, 50 years where we've had kind of a policy around multiculturalism and diversity and, and equality and these, these ideas, these great ideas about how we should be in society. We're all equal, you know, right. and we're just not equal. You know, you and I aren't equal. We're not the exact same, right? We're not equal, right? So we might share a different identity characteristics, maybe being men or whatever it is. So we have sameness, but we're not equal, right? So when we're talking about equality, what are we really trying to say? And I think what we're trying to say a lot of times is we're talking about equity, right? And equity is more about, you know, access, opportunity, uh, you know, uh, equity means that we don't have to be treated exactly the same, right? Because we have different needs. In particular, because our society is inequitable, right? Some people get more, some people have less, and we need to rebalance the scales, which means we need to take an equity-focused approach to rebalancing things. If it's equal, I'm always going to get five bucks, you're always going to get five bucks. But if you're five bucks behind me, we're never going to get to the same place, right? Wow. So it's all well and good to say we should be equal, and maybe that's something we can achieve way down the line. But right now we need equity. And I think that partly we're taught about equality so that we don't think about equity. You know, right. it's purposeful. So we're not all equal, right? And I don't think we should want to be, but it is what it is. I think this is the thing that we get these ideas in our mind and we use them interchangeably. But really what we want, I think, as a, as a society is to be uh, equitable. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. I mean, even myself, I've never thought of it like that. We do think of it as being equal, as being the same, one and the same, as I get to have what, what you get to have. But to your point, if I'm, if I'm five bucks behind, then I'm not, and, and then I'm never going to catch up, right? I'm never going to be ahead or I'm never going to be that value. My value doesn't increase if I just keep getting fed, getting fed the same. So equity is a great way to look at that. I mean, we look for equity in everything that we do, you know, by, we talked about buying a house and, you know, and that business and everything we're, we're looking for equity because it's our value uh, that that's important. Equity is even more important than, you know, even, you know, you want to have uh, money, but you know, if you have equity in something, that's like even better, you know? So you know, it's um, it's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is a good way for us to be begin to get that equity and close that gap? Well, I think the big question is what's the gap, right? I think we need to really clearly identify what's the gap. And we have these assumptions, and we have these kind of these things that are normalized. You know, uh, you know, black people in the United States or in Canada, where I live, uh, you know, expected to do poorly in school compared to white people right? Expected to be arrested at a higher rate compared to white people. But the, that gap, that is that comparison, right? And we're talking about a likelihood, you know, black people are more likely to be stopped by the cops than, than, uh, than a white person. So if we can track it, if we can, right. uh, you know, evaluate it. And, and when we think about it, and I don't know if this is a term that you would use or, or people who listen to podcasts would use, but we call it a disproportionality. And really what it is, is that the difference between the percentage of people who are stopped by police and the, the general population. So in, in Ontario, you know, we have maybe 5% of the population is black, but if 40% of the people who are stopped by police are black, there's a disproportionality. It's a mismatch, right, in the percentages. And we're seeing that all the time. 
does that have anything to do with with black people being uh, you know more criminal than white people, more suspicious than white people? No, it's about the racism embedded in the system of policing, right? So when I think about a race gap or or a disproportionality, what are we really talking about? We're, we're really just talking about racism. We're not talking about any kind of inherent flaws in any type of person, but it's about how does the system stack you lower, right? That five bucks behind mentality than a white person, for example. So, you know, we need to correct those systems. We need to correct the racism in policing or in uh, the child protection services or in the education system or in the courts, you know, because it's in those systems and it's, it continually as a pattern disadvantages certain types of people just because of how they look. So there are gaps, right? There are things we need to correct and whether it's through funding or changing laws or changing the, you know, programs or training people, we need to eliminate the gap. But the way I think about it is that, you know, it's not as though we need to bring indigenous and black people up. It's that we need to bring white people down a little bit. And I'm not saying that, you know, don't, don't anybody take it the wrong way, but it's really about the rebalancing the scales. So when I talk about, you know, racism is not zero sum. You know, I'm not taking anything away from white people. White people have all the privilege, they have all the power, but it doesn't belong to you, this white privilege, right? So if I can rebalance society, if I can rebalance policing to make it more equitable, that eliminates a race gap automatically, right? And I think the biggest barrier for us to to balance those scales is education. And it's like I said earlier, a lot of white people don't think about these things that I talk about, don't, don't know what I know and haven't seen what I've seen. And the biggest thing that sets me apart from a lot of people, like I said, is that I've had indigenous and racialized people teach me about myself. You know, I've had great teachers over the last 15 years and uh, I choose to believe what they tell me, which I think is a really big gap. You know, you've got people who work in government, you've got people who work in policing or courts or child protection who don't listen to black people who have said for generations were oppressed by the system. Right. Right. Who who don't choose to believe, uh, you know, indigenous people who have been resisting oppression for 500 years. Right. Like, who are we to say they're wrong? So I think this is the biggest thing is that the gap for me is not about indigenous or, or black or racialized people. It's about white people not coming to terms with their own whiteness. Wow. That's, it seems simple, right? <laughs> but it, it's not because like you said, it's, it's, it's embedded in people. And, you know, I think, I, I think probably the average white person doesn't think that he's racist or even thinks that he, he doesn't even doesn't think about it because, because he doesn't have to. So, you know, hats off to you for taking the time to, to think about these things in the process your own whiteness and how it impacts the world, essentially the scales, so to speak. So I'll ask you this question. Do you, I don't know if you, do you have children? Yeah, I got, I got a little one and another one on the way. Congratulations. Yeah. That's thank nice. You. That's nice. So speaking of that, how will you teach your children? Like how will you help them uh, to see this at a young age? Yeah, that's a big thing. And, you know, I, I feel like I've been given a lot as far as the knowledge that's been given to me, the opportunity that I've had. And I I recognize not everybody's in that place. You know, a lot of things went right for me as far as me figuring things out. And I know that not everybody is in that spot. So 
what I realized is that I have a lot of responsibility. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to help as many people as I could to put myself in jobs where I could have the most impact as possible. And sometimes I get really frustrated because not enough people were thinking the way I was thinking. And then I realized, you know, pretty late in the game, unfortunately, that I can't change people. You know, I can create opportunity for people to change. And um, for me, when I look at my child and, and the other one that's coming, this is my opportunity to have an exponential impact in the world, right? If he, if I can teach as many people as I can, if he can teach as many people as he can, uh, then we're going to do better, right? right? So for me, I want to put everything I can into him as far as teaching him good values and, and making sure that he can represent his own whiteness in the world the way that I have learned to. And I have to just trust that that's good enough, right? And uh, it's really that idea that, you know, we all have responsibility for ourselves, but we all have a collective responsibility for people who look like us and for people who don't look like us, right? So uh, these are the values that I try and bring to him. He's still too young to understand, but, (laughs) you know, eventually he's going to get to that place, hopefully, where he sees himself in the world and he realizes what these systems and these structures are, you know, mean for him and for other people. Right. You know, what I really appreciate about what you do is the responsibility that you put on yourself. You know, it's very easy, and, and you hear it in these conversations all the time. Okay, I, I, okay, we have to do this, but, you know, black, stop killing each other, or you're, you're not in slave time anymore, or, you know, you got to go to school, or you got to do this, you know, and it's easy to redirect and say what others need to do, but I really appreciate that you've just taken ownership of it and saying, I have to change me. I have to change my thought process and then pass that on to my children. I think that that's, that's, a, that's amazing. And, and I really appreciate that, that you approach it in that way. And it's, it's bold to, to do that, to do what you're doing. You know, it's bold and it's commendable that you're, you're taking the time to educate people. You know, uh, your page is an excellent way to, for people to start to think of things in a different way. But I will ask you this question. What is a simple way? for someone to uh, a white person to uh, educate themselves so that they can start to at least change the way they think of race. Yeah. You know, there's something that's way, way back. If you go like early days on the page that, uh, that I have a bit of a framework for people that they can think about. It's really straightforward, obviously easy to say hard to do, but you know, it's, it's four words. It's an A E E A word, which is, uh, acknowledge, uh, exposure, experience, action. And people can acknowledge racism. They can acknowledge these systems. They can acknowledge themselves in these systems. That's the first step. You've got to believe that it's a problem. And you've got to believe that you're part of the problem in order to be part of the solution. You need to get exposed. You need to learn. You need to listen. You need to watch. You need to attend events. You need to get teachers in your life who can help you. Right. You need to get exposed to new ways of thinking. And that's what happened for me is that, you know, I had this way of thinking when I grew up, but I got exposed to completely new ways of thinking and it turned my world upside down. And that allowed me to do what I've done after the fact. So you get exposed, you get some experience, you start observing other people who might be allies. And I use the term ally really loosely. And I know that's the name of my account, but really it's about who are you and how are you connecting yourself to issues around racism and race equity. Uh, But you got to get some experience. You got to get out there and you got to take people's advice 
You've got to ask for direction. You've got to do what you're told. And that's a big thing is that if you want to start getting involved in this work, it's not about you. It's not about your ideas or your beliefs or your opinions. Because like I said, you know, black and indigenous people have been resisting for a long time. Like, who am I to come in with my fresh ideas about how do we end racism? Right. Right. And it's that experience. You got to get out there. You got to live it. And, you know, sometimes you got to live it for years and years and years before you figure it out. And then the, the last one is A is action. And you've got to act. You've got to take action. You've got to do something, do anything. Right. So if people can acknowledge themselves, they can acknowledge oppression, they can get exposed to new ways of thinking, they can get some experience, get on the ground, and then they can start acting. And it's, it's really hard. Honestly, it's really hard, not because talking and dealing with racism is hard. It's hard because we've been conditioned to not do it. Yes. Right. We're comfortable in the way that we're doing things. And it's hard to get out of that. Thank you so much. I feel incredibly enlightened to just listen, you know, to your perspective because, you know, it is very easy. And, you know, as much as I try, (laughs) it is very easy to get caught in your own circle, to get caught in your own thought, you know, with the news, the media sometimes pushes. And you have to really, you do have to put the effort to really think outside the box and think outside yourself and, and take responsibility even on, on the side of black and indigenous people, we have to take responsibility for what we do and how we handle and conduct ourselves. Uh, but I really appreciate, you know, what you, what you are doing and you should absolutely keep doing what you're doing because I believe that it will make a difference. Uh, one of the biggest things, the last thing I'll say is one of the biggest things is um, you're doing it at home. You're doing it at home. So, you know, we're going to end with this. Would you rather game? Just to end it on a lighter note, it's very easy. Would you rather have a rewind button that would take you back to the happiest time of your life or a fast forward button that would take you to where you've accomplished all your goals? I think I know the answer. Hey, can I say neither? You know? Neither. Wow. Okay. Not neither. neither. You know, I honestly, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to shortchange myself. But if I'm going to pick one, I could. Uh, let's go to the past because I've already been there. Okay. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to write the future just yet. Gotcha. Hey Andrew, thank you so much. I appreciate you for coming on, taking the time. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Life Unplugged Podcast. Of course, you can find me as always on Instagram at Life Unplugged Podcast at Life Unplugged underscore Podcast. And on Twitter at Life Unplugged Pod underscore one. Andrew, thank you. And I appreciate you guys listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.